We are complete in you and only in you, Lord. Take our eyes from every other thing. We disassociate ourselves from every other name. And we say yes to you. Thank you, Lord of our souls. Thank you so much. Thank you, Lord. Give you praise. Lord, we thank you for this time of fellowship. We All we want to hear is you. Speak to us. And we ask for your help. We ask for grace and strength. We ask for the supply of the Spirit. We are so grateful for your presence here. And we just open up our hearts to receive from you. We give you praise, Lord. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. And have your seats. Glory to God. And we thank Pure Streams. Thank you guys so much. Amen. Uh, I'm your teacher again for a second time this week. <laughs> Amen. I just want to thank um, Pastor Zach and um, pa Pastor Zach for the opportunity and Mama D as well. And uh, the man of God, Pastor Obi. I want to thank my pastors for... For this opportunity, I'm so grateful to Pizak, you know, for the opportunity. Can we just say thank you, Jesus, for all that is happening in AKT next to? It's um, amazing what is going on there. Amazing. I wish, um, I'm grateful to God for the opportunities I had, the experiences I had when I was in university. But, you know, looking at watching AKT, I just wish that, you know, I could, is it transport now or backport or teleport? But, go through a time machine and get back. I won't tell you the year so that you don't know how old I am. Um, get back and um, hopefully just also teleport Pizak and Mamadi as they are now. Pastor Laluto, you see Abikeja, the whole crew, just move them into my uni days and then I'll just be in the front row, just receive me, receive me, receive me. Then I'll come back here, then just flow everybody because... <laughs> The kind of uh, fire that I received, I just, with one breath like this, everybody's, everybody's, is, is gone. Amen. Amen. We, we are so grateful to God. I know we'll hear more testimonies when they are back. Um, it's always a refreshing, refreshing experience. I remember when they had to go last year, you know, um, and we saw some of the harvest that came out from that meeting. Um, and then we've, we've gone now. Don't worry, in SOD, you see the harvest, you know, but we are so grateful to God. Can we just say thank you, Jesus, again for his help? That's a marvelous work that is being done um, in Exum and all by the power of God, all by the supply of the Spirit, and we are grateful. Amen. This evening, I'm not going to take so much of your time. Um, by God's grace, um, but I have a thought. I don't have a topic, don't worry, but... There's um, a thought that has been in my heart, and um, I'm trusting God that 
um, he would strengthen me and help me to share and also um, bless you as well. I know you received something. I'm pretty sure about it. Let's look at Isaiah 42, verse, read 1 to 8. Um, on Sunday, we, I saw a conversation on Sunday about um, advice as, as a tool, you know, necessary for destiny, right? So um, my conversation is still on destiny. And today is not advice. Maybe you tell me what it is at the end of the day. But this is um, something else that you must necessarily um, arm yourself with. Um, must necessarily experience if it's God that called you. And if it's God that gave you that destiny. Amen. You know, something about destiny, I'll just say it now. When we say my destiny, my destiny, you know, it sounds like my, right? Yes. But the truth is, my destiny, my destiny is not really mine. It's actually God's will and God's purpose. He has decided that I would be the actor that will play it out. So when we are saying my destiny, the delivery of that destiny is not so much about us. It's more about God. The person expecting the delivery is God because he has an end in mind. Amen. So... You know, when we say that, see, your destiny is bigger than you, you're just an actor in the game, so just relax and chill. Let the owner of the destiny play it out as he wills. Actually, it is true. Um, when you cry about our destiny, pray for our destiny, which we must do and ask God for help with it, but just remember that it's not, it's Timmy's destiny, but it's not owned by Timmy. The sole owner, the sole investor, chairman, board of directors, and CEO, of that destiny is the Lord God Almighty. You are at best maybe the general manager. Do you get in that company? Amen. And so, um, the moment we have this at the back of our minds, then we can understand the reason why God takes us through certain drills. Because he has an expectation that is not necessarily how we see it or expect it. We eventually get to that place. But you realize that our conversation today, don't worry, it's not intended to scare you. But realize that God is a jealous God and he's particular. God is a jealous God and he's particular. He's giving you a word about destiny, about his will or his purpose for your life. Just know that he has committed himself to you and he's jealous and particular about that word. And if it's about the delivery, actualization of that word, then know that God is on your case. Amen. Know that God is on your case. So we're going to read Isaiah 42. And then we'll look at a couple of people. We'll look at Moses. We'll look at David. Then we'll look at Jesus. And we'll wrap up with Matthew. Okay? So let's see how this journey goes. Amen. Okay. So we'll read this together. I, I usually like reading the Amplified. You have. Okay, so, behold my servant, we are reading verse 1 to 8. Behold my servant whom I uphold, my elect. Please, I want you to take note of the my and the I, okay, as we go on. So, behold my servant whom I uphold, my elect in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice. 
and write and reveal truth to the nations. Verse 2. He will not cry or shout aloud or cause his voice to be heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break and a dimly burning wick he will not quench. He will bring forth justice in truth. He will not fail or, be, or become weak or be crushed and discouraged till he has established justice in the earth. And the islands and coastal regions shall wait hopefully for him and expect his direction and law. Five. Thus says the Lord. Thus says God the Lord. He who created the heavens and stretched them forth. He who spread abroad the earth and that which comes out of it. He who gives breath to the people on it and spirit to those who walk in it. I, the Lord, I have called you. Now. Where you have you, just put your name, okay? And just, so just take, make it personal to yourself as you're reading in your mind, okay? I, the Lord, I have called Idara hmm? for a righteous purpose and in righteousness. I, the Lord, I will take Idara. I hope you're putting your name there, okay? By the hand and will keep you. I, the Lord, will give Idara for a covenant to the people, Israel, for a light to the nations, the Gentiles. Verse 7. To open the eyes of the blind, to bring out prisoners from the dungeon, and those who sit in darkness from the prison. Verse 8. And this is where I'm going to. I am the Lord. That is my name. And my glory I will not give to another nor my praise to graven images. Let's hold him. So this scripture we just read, God was talking to us about someone he has called, right? The servants. Um, some, some versions will say that it's about Jesus Christ. Actually, it is about Jesus. And he was describing this person. And God takes a personal position concerning this person. So, and he's very emphatic about his ownership. So you keep seeing the reference to I, my servant. I call this person. And he gave a definitive description of what this person is going to do. And then he ends the thought by saying, I am the Lord. My glory I will not give to another, nor my praise to graven images. I'm not going to share myself. I'm not going to share my glory with anybody or with an idol, with anything. It's mine. He has taken personal ownership over this particular life and over this destiny. Shebi is just a matter of destiny. Why is God taking it? Why is taking it P? It's destiny. After I, I deliver it, you take it. Why is he? Why has he reached the point of I will not share my glory with any other? Like I said at the beginning, your destiny is not about you, right? It's about God. And at the end of the day, every purpose that God sends forth, everything that God desires to play out, the intention is for glory to come back to him and not to another person or not to, do you get it? So when he, when, when he says, my glory, I'll not give to another, God was emphatic to say, I own it, and I own it alone. I own it, 
and I own it alone. Yes, you're the person that is going out and doing the work, but I own it and I own it alone. You realize that because when God has communicated purpose to you, there is a lot of God that has also gone ahead with it. There are resources that go with it. His power goes with you. His authority goes with you. Do you get? There are things that go with you, but those things are personal to God. If he's going to release that to you, then he must own, the glory must be his, and the praise must be his. Amen. And so, because of this, you now realize that it's not everybody that gets to this place. There is a grooming and a process that must happen. The people that eventually get to this place, who are able to deliver, and the glory goes to God, and the praise goes to God, you will see the kind of lives those people live. And if that is what we actually want, you want to stand at the end of the day and say that, Lord, I did it. I, I, this is it. I'm bringing it back to you. Get ready for process. Amen. There is a manner of person, there is a manner of man that God validates, that is able to get to this point where God can boast about you to call you my servant and to say, I am the one that sent this person. Amen. Hallelujah. Don't look like this. We just started. We just started. Don't look like this. Amen. All right. God will help us today. All right. So let's quickly look at Moses. I said we'll look at Moses. We'll look at David and then Jesus. So, we know Moses' story. Let's go to Exodus 2, 3. We have quite some readings, you know. But like, keep this at the back of your mind. Isaiah 42, verse 8. 7 and then 8. Or 6, 7 and 8. Okay. It's a long read. So, because of time, right? I'll just do it. But in verse 2, actually, um, so Moses had been in... Moses had been in, um, in Pharaoh's house, right? I want you to picture this. Moses got to Pharaoh's house as a baby, right? It's not possible that Moses would have known any other life other than the life that he knew or he met in Pharaoh's house. Everything, Moses was exposed to the best of education, the best of luxury, the best of life, basically, while he was in Pharaoh's house. And he grew there all his life. Somehow, by divine intervention, Moses got to know that, well, I'm not really Pharaoh's child. I'm actually a kindred of those people that we have been beating and been dealing with all the while. But God had already wired something into Moses. So Moses had a restlessness inside him. In verse 2, I'm looking for, yes, this is it. So he had grown up one day, and then he saw an Egyptian beating one of his kindred. And then Moses responded. Do you think it was normal for Moses to respond? Think about it. Do you think it was normal for Moses, normal for Moses to respond? Don't forget that Moses knows how 
Egypt or pray to? Ask yourself, if you grew up in a very wealthy, a wealthy man took care of you, and I realize that true, true, where you come from is Ajegunle. And then one day, you manage to be in a car and passing through Ajegunle. And you now see someone that was your family member that somebody was dealing with. Maybe a soldier or army was dealing with. Would you actually go to help that person? Let's tell ourselves the truth. Or would, you not, would we not behave as if we actually do not know the person at all? And then just carry on. No, let's tell ourselves the truth. Particularly if you're with your friends. Particularly if you're, because you will not want anybody to know that this is where my real origin is. You won't want to be uncovered, right? But God had already wired deliverer inside Moses. When Moses was born, Moses was born with deliverer already inside him. So as he grew up, what God had put inside him had already started wrestling with him. So Moses could not hold himself. So what Moses did was he beat the Hebrew because that is what the deliverer would do. The deliverer would go to fight the person that is holding his people captive. Amen. And then so he killed the Egyptian and then he went. So another day he comes out and then he now sees his brethren fighting. And then he wants to go and talk to those ones as per brother to brother. Then they remind him that seal, you, you killed somebody. Do you want to come and kill me? And then Moses was like, since everybody Kukuman knows, I am done for. Because now that they know I've killed an Egyptian, they know that I am an Hebrew guy. Because why would you kill an Egyptian that is beating a Hebrew? Since it's already expected. So Pharaoh will have his neck because he could not stand the Hebrews. So Moses ran away. I'm going somewhere, so just stay with me. So Moses escaped. I'm just trying to summarize Moses' story to explain the kind of person and what God took Moses through. But don't forget that Moses already had a destiny of deliverer. And so the first thing that happens to Moses is that he first of all escapes from the very place that God was sending him to. And Moses ran away. The way Moses' life was going, there was no future again for Moses because he ran to a different place. And then to make matters worse, where he got to, he now started working for his father-in-law. I'm not a man. I cannot imagine working for my in-laws. I'm sorry. My husband is here. <laughs> but I'm not a man. Men, how many men want to work for their father-in-law? Some, some people are saying it depends, right? It, <laughs> it depends. It depends on what he's doing. <laughs> it depends. But Moses is not just a stranger in the place. So he goes somewhere. First of all, they help him, they help him right, to give him food to eat. So he comes into the house as somebody that we want to help. Ah, it's as if they're chasing him from where he's coming from. Well, let's help him. Well, the guy doesn't have where to lay his head, doesn't have food to eat. Let's take him in. Then gradually, the next thing is, ah, Zipporah, Zipporah, Moses, Moses. Then the man now says, you know what? Just tend my flock. And then the father-in-law is paying him salary. The father-in-law is housing him. Deliverer. Great destiny. But his father-in-law is paying his salary. His father-in-law is housing him. You know he cannot do Zipporah anyhow. He dare not try. So you can imagine the plenty of things that Moses would have to swallow. All the while that was going on, 
his destiny would have been wrestling with him on the inside. And then, but over the course of the years, Moses would have turned away from what it is that God had called him to do. Now, let me shock you. God's hand was in it. God's hand was in it. God's hand was in it. By the time God came for Moses, you see, God is actually to be feared. God is really to be feared. By the time God's hand came for Moses, the bush was burning. But Moses had gotten to that point where he was so frustrated with his life. His life did not make sense to him. So God had to come to him in a very spectacular way to get his attention. But even with this way, even with how God came to him, you saw how Moses argued with God about why he was not the right person to go. That was very different from the person that was very quick to kill an Egyptian because he was beating an Israelite. Don't forget that destiny is God's. Destiny is God's. His glory he will share with no one. So, he had to expire Moses completely without taking out deliverer from him. But he expired him completely because he was only going to do that deliverance by the power of God. Moses did not lift Mozulu. His rod Moses was using, stick. I wish I had a stick here. That deliverance was not going to come by military strength. It was not going to be like a man-to-man battle. It could only have been by the power of God. So God expired Moses to the point that Moses did not have any other thing to rely on. But the experience that he had with God. Because when God said, go to, his, to, to the Israelites, speak to the elders, he said, what would I tell them? He didn't even know what to tell them. So he had to depend on God to be able to speak to them. That is Moses that God used. That is Moses that God used. The man that went back to Egypt, went back, coming to a place where he was regarded as a mockery. I want you to think on those things. Because when Moses went back to Egypt, the people that he went back to knew him. And they knew he ran away. So what do you think happened when Moses entered into Pharaoh's palace and said, let my people go? Old man at 80. And all he had was a stick. And he entered Pharaoh's palace, let my people go. I'm sure the only reason Pharaoh did not try to kill him immediately is the small respect that he had for him because they grew up together. So you can imagine how people would have laughed at him. But he went because God sent him. And he, the reason why he went, not just because God sent him, because there was nothing else in this life that he could rely on. Everything in life as far as Moses was concerned, had failed. Moses did not really have anything in life that he could actually call his own or he could rely on. Nothing else. 
nothing else except the voice of God. And that was what he lived by. That was all he lived by. We are still on Moses, right? Let's look at Exodus 33. I just want to drill in to show you who Moses is. And then we'll now see a conversation on the kind of God he was dealing with. So, God had told Moses that he doesn't want to, like he's tired of them. So, God said, Moses, depart God from here, you and the people who you have brought from the land of Egypt. God was angry with Israel, right? So, now he's not the one that brought them out. It's Moses that brought them out. To the land I swore to your, you know, to your ancestors, saying to your ancestors, go. See, I already promised you I'll give it to you. Just go. Your people, go. They're not my people again. Next verse. And then I'll send, next I'll send an angel before you. Verse 3, I think it should be 3. Mm, 4. Mm, 5, I'm sorry. Okay, I think 6. <laughs> okay, let me just start reading from here. so that Because now it's getting funny. And the Israelites left off all their ornaments from Mount Horeb onward. Let's go on. Now Moses used to take his own tent and pitch outside the camp. I know we are going further down. Far off from the camp. And he called it the tent of meeting. Everyone who saw the Lord went out to that tent to see him. Next verse. And Moses went out to the tent of meeting. All the people rose and stood. Every man at his tent door and looked after Moses until he had gone into the tent. Next. Uh, I'm looking for where he said that I will not go except you go with me. I know he's in 33. Next verse. Hmm. Next verse. Someone help me look for it, please. Okay. So it's 13. So God has already told Moses to go, right? And basically said, I'll send an angel, but me, I will not go with you. He didn't say he was not going to give him deployment or resource. He just said, angels will go. They will clear the way for you. You get the promise, but I, I will not go with you. So Moses said, no. If I have found favor in your sight, show me now your way that I may know you. Become more deeply. Maybe I should go to King James here because now Amplified is, is confusing me. Amen. Just give me a minute, please. I'm Kukuma under no pressure. Okay, so I'll read from 13. Now, therefore, I pray you, if I have found grace in thy sight, show me now your way that I may know you, that I may find grace in your sight, and consider that this nation is your people, Lord. That your people. And he said, my presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. Then he said, then this Moses said, if your presence go not with me, carry us not up from here. How will I know that I found grace in your sight, if not that you go with us? Amen. 
so shall we be separated, I and the people, from all the people that are upon the face of the earth. God already told him, I'll give you an angel. God already told him the promise will come to pass. God already told him that you would have all the help you can get. You will not just have me. Then Moses said, no, it is you. I don't want angel. I don't want promised land without you. That is the kind of person that Moses had become. So when you see the authority that Moses was operating in, you can see the reason why. Moses did not have any other backup but God. So as far as Moses was concerned, if you take God away from me, I am exposed. God said, I will give you an angel. Have you seen an angel before? God said, I will give you an angel. The angel would drive and clear the Hittites, the Jebusites, the Perizzites, the Zaitzites, Zait, clear them out of the way. But Moses said, it is you that I want. It's not enough that we just enter the promised land. It's you because without you, I am completely nothing. He said that it is only your presence that separates us from every other person. No backup. Because without God, you would have become fully exposed. That was the kind of person Moses was. And so the authority that was on Moses, God deployed everything that he was to Moses. Everything that he was. So you can see the reason why when Aaron and Miriam tried to point their hand at Moses, why God came for them full time. Because God deployed everything that he had. But he is God. And his glory he will not share with another person. His glory he will not share with another person. So in Numbers 20, this same Moses, that already, that God has said, you can go without me, you enter the promised land. In Numbers 20, Moses got carried away. Speak to the rock. He struck the rock twice. And then God told him, you did not sanctify me in the eyes of the people. So God too was not carried away about his glory. Even though Moses was the man that he spoke with face to face as a friend to a friend. He said, you did not believe me to hallow me in the eyes of the children of Israel. Therefore, you will not bring this assembly into the land which I have given to them. That was supposed to be Moses' delivery. The day Moses entered the promised land, that's when Moses would have said, "Ha, ah, I have run the race. I have finished my course. But he couldn't do that because of this. And you would have said, <laughs> Lord, but Moses has worked with you all this while. Like, couldn't you just excuse it? But the destiny is his own. He said, did he not hallow me in the eyes of the children of Israel? You tampered with my glory before the eyes of the children of Israel. I said, speak, and then you struck it. Twice. What God was after was that his glory would not be touched. His glory would not be touched. So, in spite of everything 
that Moses was. But God was not carried away. Regardless of how precious Moses is to God, his glory is not something that he jokes with or toys with. God was still after his glory. And he was not going to allow anyone take it from him. I am the Lord. My glory I will not give to another. If you want to live a normal life, this doesn't happen. You can live a normal life, enjoy yourself, you know, just go through a normal life, enjoy yourself. You give your life to Jesus Christ and then we'll meet you when the trumpet blows or the Lord calls you home, whichever one happens earlier. But if it's that, you know, those prayers you pray, Lord, I'm yours, I'm for you, your will I want to do. Lord, not my life, not my will, not my purpose. All my ambitions I drop at your feet. Give me your purpose, your ambition. I want to carry your yoke. If you've prayed that prayer, of which I know God heard you, and God answered you, his glory, he's not going to share with another. And God doesn't take a siesta when it comes to his glory. He doesn't. He's fully committed to it. Amen. Let's look at David. We are going somewhere. There is a kind of man that God validates. There is a kind of man that God confesses authority on. There is a way that life is and God has an expectation. If you want to live a normal life, it's fine. But if you have subscribed to live a life that is beyond you, then there is a way and there is a manner. I'm sorry to bust your bubble, but you cannot live anyhow. David's story is unique. We all know David. David is one of the most liked characters in the Bible. Even unbelievers like David, right? Yeah, everybody says that, you know, I'm just like David. I've sinned many times, but God still loves me. Amen. <laughs> That's what they use David for. But David was something else. David is a 16-year-old boy that somebody came to their house one day. They've sent him on an errand, forgotten about him, and then... The man said, I'm not going to leave you until I see David. Then David comes in, and then the man anoints David. Dennis, if you're the one, how would you live your life from that day? I know myself. I'll tell everybody in my house that, see, you people didn't even think about me, but God was thinking about me. <laughs> now, the oil is on me. All of you, your life depends on me. So David was anointed to be king over Israel. He was anointed and the spirit of God had come upon him. So he was a fully anointed man. Amen. Fully anointed. He was not a normal 16-year-old. Not a normal one. 
But then God decided to process David. Here you see this thing called purpose when it comes. It has come for. <laughs> you know, when I was thinking about this, I said, God, the year of our crown in Abi, you realize that the pathway to the throne, the pathway to the throne <laughs> is not necessarily li lined up with pomp and pageantry. It's not Buckingham Palace. The year of our crown in Abi, process. Then God started taking David through process. This is the person that had the oil, right? Then this person became a fugitive. In the nation where he was supposed to rule. David was anointed as king while Saul was still sitting as king. Then David was sent to go and save Saul. Yeah. Some of us are eyeing our bosses, Abby. Wondering when they will leave vacate that seat so he can take over. But David was sent to go and serve Saul. And he had to serve a man that he knew that was after his life. And he dared not raise his hand against him. But he knew that he was anointed to be king of Israel. It's not as if David did not know that God had made him king and basically they're just waiting for Saul to finish his course. Because even if David did not know, Saul's son, Jonathan, used to remind David. <laughs> Saul's son remind David, Jonathan, that you will be the one on the throne. But God was taking David through a process. Took him through a very, I don't, I'm not sure I can do what David did. Well, maybe I can. Because I have the Holy Ghost inside me, right? But by myself, I'm not sure I can do what David did. How do you serve someone that actually wants to kill you? He was, you're playing, um, what was he playing again? Hab. And the guy throws a spear at you. And you still marry his daughter. The man said that anybody that does, blah, 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 that does this, I'll make the person, I'll give my daughter's hand in marriage. And David, David went and did it to marry his daughter. And I knew that, Saul knew that David was going to go and do it. Maybe they will kill him, but he did it and still married the man's daughter. The man still wanted to kill you and you were still doing best friends to his son. I don't understand David. And in all of this, he did not think for one day of raising his hand against Saul. Even when he had become a full-fledged fugitive and Saul actually, and you know, if he, had, if he had killed Saul, he would have been justified because he says Saul came for his life. He saw the opportunity to take out his enemy. But twice, David spared Saul's life. It's only God that can process somebody like that. That's the person that is fully aware. You know, it would have been a different case if he wasn't sure that he had been told concerning David that he would be the next king. But the guy was just going through the emotions of life. But the guy was fully aware. And 
many times he had the opportunity to actualize that call by himself, but he did not. He waited for God. So you can see the reason why when after David was king and he went to bring the ark back into Israel and he was dancing before God and that same Saul's daughter, Michael, was telling him that he was embarrassing himself. You know what David told her? He said that, how won't I disbase myself before God that gave me? That's not a casual statement though. That's not a casual statement. For David, by the time he sat on the throne, it was not just that, oh, I'm the king. It is God that gave me. It is God that puts me here. It is God. How many of us can wait on God for destiny? How many of us can wait without wanting to fast track things by ourselves? You know, now everything is fast track. Without wanting to fast track things by ourselves, but we can wait on God for destiny. How many of us can wait? How many of us have the stamina to wait? The endurance to wait for God to actualize it by himself? How many of us can take our time for God to actualize it by himself and not expedite it for ourselves? After all, wisdom is profitable to direct. What do you want from your life? Just have a good life. Or you want God's glory. Or you want his authority. Process. Process. Our destiny is not going to be fulfilled by scheming. It's not going to be fulfilled by taking out people. It's not going to be fulfilled by quick jobs. Do you get it? If you're going to have to do anything, anything whatsoever, that completely invalidates the scriptures or kingdom principles just so you could quickly have a result. That is not going to deliver God to anybody. And that is not the path of destiny. Amen. Let me look for David and Absalom. We have to get to the point where our lives are so completely dependent on God 
where we know that God really owns it. David, for David, the throne had become nothing that he could hold on to as his personal possession. So much so that when his son, his son, that's the one he gave birth to, when his son came for him, David ran away. And with all his might as the king of Israel, all David could say was, if God would have me live like this, no problem. If God would have Absalom have the throne, no problem. For him, it's okay if God would have it be. Do you know what it is? Not because we've not sat, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not from a royal family, so I don't know what it feels like. But can imagine getting to the peak of anything you most like would, you would ever dream of being. And then by scheming and treachery, you're about to be ousted. Or in fact, you're already ousted. And you don't fight. And you don't fight. And the only thing you're concerned about is you just want to be in God's good books. It's the processing of God that doesn't allow our hearts to become attached to anything on the earth. Amen. You're speaking about destiny, right? Trying to rush. So when we look at our Lord Jesus, you see the kind of life that he lived. And that's the person that came to do the greatest thing that has ever been done or will ever be done. So we look at Philippians 2 and 1 Peter 2. Philippians 2, I think from about verse 4. Okay, from 5. So, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a born servant, And coming in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Next verse. Therefore, God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of those in heaven and of those on earth 
and of those under the earth. Please put in the Amplified. You don't have the Amplified Classic, right? Okay, I'll just read from my, from my phone. Let the same attitude and purpose and humble mind be in you, which was in Christ Jesus. Let him be your example in humility, who, although being essentially one with God and in the form of God, possessing the fullness of the attributes which make God God, did not think this equality with God was a thing to be eagerly grasped or retained. In other words, Jesus knew that he was God. He possessed the fullness of the attributes of God. He knew he was aware. But he wasn't so attached to it when he came here that he was so eager that he couldn't drop it. He stripped himself of all privileges and rightful dignity so he could assume the guise of his servant in that he became like men and was born a human being. And after he appeared in human form, he abased and humbled himself still further and carried his obedience to the extreme of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore, he stooped so low that God has highly exalted him and has freely bestowed on him the name that is above every name and that in the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess and acknowledge that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen. So look at Jesus' trajectory. God. Then he came down as man. But not just that he came down as man. Jesus deliberately stripped himself. Remember that he was full of the spirit, right? He was fully aware of his Godfulness, if there's a word like that. But he was not so attached to it that he could not strip himself of it just to fulfill God's will and purpose. So he obeyed even to the point of the death on the cross. Jesus did all of that as a matter of obedience because it was required. Because it was required. It was his rightful place to wear his godliness because he's God. It was legitimate for him. It was legal for him. It was his human rights to wear his, to be God. But he stripped himself. Because of the will of God. And so, by going through that process, then God said, Aha, uh -huh. this is the man. So, God now exalted him and gave him the name. 
It's not just, it's not name as per Idara. It's not name as per Anu. Do you get? What happened was that God validated Jesus and then gave authority. God validated Jesus and gave what? Authority. He stripped himself. He denied himself because of the will. Because of the will. You know many of us are crying for power. I think I remember a story PK shared once of how he had been fasting for power. And he fasted. And then the first day, I remember that day said after the fast, as he just stepped out, somebody upset him. I, <laughs> and he had released with all the power that was inside him. <laughs> and then I think God told him, I hope I'm not mixing the story up. I think God told him that is this what you wanted to use the power for? So imagine Jesus with all the power and then the Pharisees are abusing him every day. But he created them. He created them, but they're abusing him every day. But he continued because of the will. Imagine Jesus being taken to the cross. He did not sin. See, it's not as if Jesus sinned. Then that's why because he sinned, Kukuma now bear the sin of the world. He did not sin. And so the sins of the people that he was carrying were the ones that were beating him, were the ones that were jeering at him, were the ones that were pushing him, spitting on him and all of that. But he still went on. That is Jesus that could have. That could have told God that maybe he wants a death on the cross. He could have just manufactured. He could have just done a, a just done another Jesus and put on the cross. Or he could have called any angel. Or he is he hypnotized now. Any human being. Since he must be a human being that will go on the cross. Amen. That's just that could have done anything. But he subjected himself to what he could never have thought that he can go through. For example, that God can turn his back on him. Do you know what it means for God to cry out to God to say, a lie, a lie, why have you forsaken me? That line is found sweet, right? But do you know what it means? He stripped himself. Jesus did it deliberately. Denied himself. And then God exalted him. Guys, I want to show you something in Second Peter. I don't like this particular scripture I'm about to read because every time I read it, it judges me. 
as he's about to judge you now, particularly those that work in offices. So let's read it. Because there's a way Jesus lived from 13. Second Peter 2. No, sorry, first Peter 2 from 13. Okay. So be submissive to every human institution and authority for the sake. I want you to read it to yourself. Just read it. Read it. All right. One, two, go. No, wait. Just hold on. Don't read again. I'll continue. I'll continue from here. But remember, it's for the sake of the Lord, right? Yes, not for your sake. Or to governors are sent by him to bring vengeance to those who do wrong and to encourage those who do good service. Next. For it is God's will and intention that by doing right, your good and honest life should silence the ignorant tragedy. Just switch to King James. Let's leave this um, amplified fellows for now. For it is God's will that by doing right, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. Live as free men, yet without using your freedom as a pretext for evil, but live as servants of God. As free, yet not using... Oh, no, you jumped. As free... Hmm, all right. Yet not using liberty as a cloak for vice, but as born servants of God. Born servants of God. Honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. So, servants, be submissive to your masters with all fear. Not only to the good and gentle, but also to the wicked boss that shows you pepe every time. All right. Next. For this is commendable if because of conscience towards who? One endures suffering. It is commendable. <laughs> but what credit is it if when you are beaten for your fault you, are take, you, you take it patiently but when you do good and suffer if you take it patiently it's commendable before God verse 21 now this is where I'm going to for to this you were called everybody how many of us work for somebody and they, you, know, you work somewhere they pay you a salary just raise your hand above your head alright so listen to your calling for to this you were called because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that we should follow his steps. Now, what are his steps? Let's, next verse. And I think I'm going to wrap up. Yeah. Who committed no sin? No deceit was found in his mouth. Who, when he was reviled, did not revile in return? When he suffered, he did not threaten. Do you know who I am? I am the son of God. But he committed himself to him who judges righteously. Just look, stay on 23. That's where I'm ending. He committed himself to him who judges righteously. I just brought this to show you how he stripped himself. He knew he was called. He knew he was the son of God. He knew he had the spirit in fullness. 
He knew all the things that he could do. So even when he was suffering, that suffering basically is every time that he denied himself when he had the legitimate rights to scatter everywhere. He did not threaten. He committed himself to him who judges righteously. Can you deny yourself? Let God be your covering. Let God by himself be your validation. Let God be the one that speaks and fights for you. That is Jesus. In the fullness of everything a human being can ever be. When he was reviled, did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but committed himself to him who judges righteously. There is a kind of man that God will give his everything to. That is the man that has come to the end of himself. Who is only backing is God. Is the one that will not raise his hand to fight for himself. Is the one that will deny himself. Can you be so fully aware of your destiny? So fully aware of all that God has given to you, yet be very detached from it. Is it possible? Is it possible? Is it possible to rely on God solely Solely to just live without lifting a finger for yourself. Can you live a life where you don't fight for yourself? I'll just close with a scripture Matthew 16 24. So read 24 to 26. If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself. Take up his cross and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whosoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? Guys, he is the Lord. His glory he will not give to another, nor his praise to graven images. If you would deny yourself, if you would deny yourself, if you allow God truly be the judge of your life, if you allow God truly be the essence of your life, 
his authority and glory will be with you. But you will have to subscribe to a life of daily denials. <laughs> you will have to be ready to lose for his sake. Although I'm yet to see a man that has committed to losing and is okay with losing his life for his sake, who did not gain. I'm yet to see. But you know, when we say things like this, losing is not easy. But if you want to live a life that is above normal, if you want to live a life that is above the earth, if what you want to bring is what is God, if that is what you want to birth, you have to let go of yourself. You have to let go of who you are. Like, even the very word that God has given you, that you're holding on to, the prophetic destiny that I carry or that I have, even that, you have to let it go. You should be able to walk away from anything and everything and anyone for the sake of God. Everything should be on the table if it's going to be God. It is his destiny. You are his plan. What you call my destiny is the Lord's destiny. And his glory he's not going to share with any man. There is no space for God and flesh. There's only space for God. But this pathway is a pathway of denial. So when we shout the year of our crowning, we know it's a season we've been ushered into. God will orchestrate for us opportunities for denial, for prunings, for cutting. He will orchestrate and line it up. It's the one that yields to it. That is the one that will be crowned. That is the one that will be crowned. Because at the end of the day, when you sit on that throne, it must be God and God alone and nothing else. And nothing else. Can we just bow our hearts and pray? And let's ask the Lord for his help. Ask the Lord to purify your heart. Ask him to take you, to hold you by, your, by his hand. And just commit your way to him.
submit yourself to him. Jesus. I just feel very strongly in my heart to speak to someone here. So you work in a company and um, you feel that the person that you report to, you feel you're better than the person that you report to. And you shouldn't report to that person. And um, there are many times you have the opportunity to show yourself in terms of show your skill and ability, but um, to do that would mean that you need to expose the fact that the person that you report to is not so knowledgeable. Well, so I have to tell you this. Never do that. Never do that. The day you do it, if you continue to do it, God will take somebody that reports to you or junior to you and make that person your boss. Promotion does not come from the east, from the west, doesn't come from anywhere. It comes from God. Anybody that is your boss, all authority is established by God. Your boss is your boss. And that's where authority is. has nothing to do with what the person knows or does not know. It's just the position. Honor that position and God will honor you in Jesus' name. <coughs> that's for someone. 
Amen.